Pastor Kuhn, I have a problem, and I wonder if you could help me. I, I've been in the church for 30 years, and uh, I've tried to get my husband to come with me to church. Uh, I've talked to him, and I've told him, and I've told him that he's going to be lost if he doesn't uh, uh, shape up and, and come with me. And uh, um, um, he just looks at me, and and I ask him to go to church. He grabs his fishing pole, and the way he goes, uh, what can I do about it? I, I, I'm so worried about it. That's a very good question. A, a soul is at stake. And I'm so happy that you've come, Mrs. George. And before we find the answers from God's word, shall we ask the Lord to give us this guidance? Dear Lord in heaven, you've promised in Psalm 25, verse 9, the meek you will guide in judgment. The meek you will teach your way. So, Father, we come asking that your way will be very clear to Mrs. George and that and to all who are listening to this program, wherever they are in this audience. And, Lord, thank you now that we have received according to your promise. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Mrs. George, the Bible is one of God's books. It instructs us in the way we should go. The Lord has another book, Nature. He instructs us in both of these books, the book of Nature and the book of Revelation. And in Job, the 12th chapter, verse 7, he says, Ask now the beasts, and even the beasts will teach us. The fowls of the air will instruct us. All nature has its lesson as we seek to win others to the Lord. Uh, I might illustrate by uh, a couple little animals in nature that, that I know. I'm fairly acquainted, well acquainted, with coons. And uh, these are two little coons that someone gave to my wife and me. Uh, I think I know why they did it. They felt that we needed to enlarge our family. <laughs> and so we have been keeping these two pet coons in our motorhome as we've traveled. They, they're well-traveled now. They travel all over the country with us. And they're really beautiful companions. They don't quarrel. <laughs> they don't fuss. Now, there are seven secrets in winning one to Jesus Christ. Bible secrets, soul winning secrets, family communication secrets. And of all things, these little pets teach us part of these secrets. I was visiting with someone just the other night. And he was telling us how he, uh, how he, uh, uh, is able to allure the coons. <laughs> he said that several of his friends tried to persuade uh, the little coons to come to them. And they won't come to anyone except him. He has the special bait. Now, there's a special bait found in two special secrets revealed in the Bible. They're Jesus and joy. Jesus, when he, when he lives his joy in our lives, it actually allures people to him. So uh, these little coons had to be allured to this man. So he knew the very special alluring bait that they would accept, they would respond to. They'd come down out of that tree like mad. And other people would be calling them and trying all the methods they could think of, and those little coons stayed right up the tree. But when he came along with a specialized bait, they came scampering down out of that tree and reached their little paws out just like that. And they took the bait. He allured them. Now, the two laws of strong allurement 
are Jesus and joy. Hosea chapter 2, verse, verse 14 says, Jesus speaking through his prophet, I will allure. The way to win a sinner to Jesus is by alluring him. We allure him in part by being a joyful Christian. He sees then in us that we are satisfied with Jesus. So the text for these two secrets is Nehemiah 8.10. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The, the, the allurement, the thing that will allure, that will bait your husband to the Lord is the joy of Jesus. Uh, the joy of Jesus brings a very sweet harmony. And animals will respond, to, even animals will respond to harmony. I know that my wife, I know how I made her into, into Mrs. Glenn Kuhn. <laughs> I used joy. Joy has a tremendous strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Most any animals will respond to, to the harmony of joy. Not merely coons, but even a spider. <laughs> and maybe you think of your husband as almost being a spider. <laughs> the way he took that fishing pole, you can just see him scampering off like a spider would. Yes, you see. He, he just ran. He, he wouldn't... Uh... He wouldn't even answer. He'd just turn his head and, and out the door he'd go. Right. So we'll find from the book of nature how to allure even this spider that's gone fishing. <laughs> there was a man in, in, uh, in Boston, Massachusetts. He was playing an organ. He was a beautiful musician. One of those great, large, expensive organs. And as he come to a very, came to a very sweet uh, measure, he noticed suddenly that a spider, a big lummoxy spider, let himself down by his web, almost within reach of this musician. And the musician thought, well, I'll give him a swat. And then as he thought another second, he thought, well, no, let me see what's going to happen. I'll experiment with him. So he played some fast music and the spider took off. Then he played some sweet music and the spider came right back again. And every time he played the sweet music, this big spider would come down until he could see the white of his eyes. He said, is it possible to allure a spider with harmony? The joy of Jesus brings a harmony that will allure even a spider. Uh, there was another experience that we heard at Christmas time. A little boy was under the Christmas tree playing his little organ. And uh, as he was playing this little organ, his mother noticed out from the wall came Mr. and Mrs. Mouse. Just like a couple, they almost locked arms. They came out, sat down, perked up their ears, and listened to that little music, you know, little organ box, <laughs> music box. And when he was still playing, Mr. and Mrs. Mouse went back home. His mother said, son, do you suppose mice like the harmony of music, even mice? Oh dear, dirty mice. She said, let's try it again. So a few hours later, he sat there by his Christmas tree, started his little music box with a little twinkle, twinkle, twinkle. Out came Mr. and Mrs. Mouse again. And that happened again and again and again. They responded to what we would speak of the sinner responding to the joy of Jesus. It produces a harmony. Finally, they said, okay, if they're going to be our guests, uh, let's serve them something. You know what you'd serve mice? Cheese. Oh, <laughs> yes. 
So they gave him little tiny cheese sandwiches. And Mr. and Mrs. Mouse almost, almost genuflected. And they went back home. Uh, over in Africa, they have a way of catching other animals through music. So the joy of Jesus is one of the most precious ways to, uh, to persuade someone to our way of thinking. Now, the opposite of this, Mrs. George, would be for a husband to see reflected on his wife's face or any non-Christian to see reflected on the professed Christian's countenance a frown. Hmm. I'm not going to tell you, Mrs. George, whether you came in with a frown or not. I, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> but I know you're greatly concerned, Mrs. George. But you know one thing that drives the non-Christian away from Christ? It is the absence of Jesus and joy, the joy of Jesus. We may talk a lot about the beauty of Jesus. I mean the duty of Jesus. We may say it is our duty to do this lest we be lost. But there's no pulling power there. We may criticize people and there's no drawing power there. I am thinking of a camp meeting that I attended one summer, thousands of miles from here. And a lady came to me for consultation. She said, my husband used to go to church with me every single week. She said, but now for months he has never gone to church. She said, would you please tell me why he doesn't come to church? Imagine, I'd never met the man. I didn't know him from Adam. So you can imagine, I asked the Lord to give me wisdom. What kind of an answer would you give to a lady whose husband you've never met? He'd been coming to church regularly. All at once he stops. So as I, I darted a prayer to heaven, the Lord darted back a question for me to ask. I said, could you, uh, could you reconstruct the last time your husband came to church? She thought a couple seconds and she said, oh yes, yes. She said, on the way home from church, there was another lady and my husband and I going home together. She said, something happened in the Sabbath school of which this lady and I did not approve. It wasn't a very big thing, but we just did not approve it. And all the way home, we discussed our disapproval. And she said, and when my husband and I got out of that car and stepped into the house, my husband turned on his heel and he said, you stay away from those people. And she said, you know, he has never been back in church since. I said, you see what it is? The absence of Jesus and joy can drive people away from the Lord. But, but Pastor Kuhn, uh I'm I'm supposed to to tell him uh, all this, uh, shouldn't I? Uh, tell him uh, about uh, the Lord and 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 uh, have him read the Bible and, and read the Bible to him. Won't that won't that help? Now that's a good question. I'm glad that you raised that question. That brings us to the next two laws of soul winning: their choice and humility. Choice means. Don't try to force him. And humility means don't belittle him. Now, take this little coon, for instance. Now, suppose this little coon is out at a distance, and we want him to come with us. So we take a hammer. <laughs> and we say, now listen, I want you to know it's your duty to come to me. And we report it next Sabbath as one missionary visit. I hammered the truth into him, and he still won't come. We're breaking the law of choice. He didn't choose to have us hammer him, and he didn't choose to have us belittle him, you see. So the more we told him how he's going to be lost, and the more we hammered the 
quote truth unquote in him, the more he went fishing. <laughs> you mean I'm supposed to keep still and not say anything? Uh, no, it doesn't mean that you're to keep still, but it means that you're not to apply pressure. For instance, mm -hmm. you know, the way to get a coon to come see you isn't like this, to take a pair of pliers and say, now, now I want you to come to church with me, see? And he said, ouch, I'd rather go fishing. And you know, coons like to go crawfishing. <laughs> and, and they'd much rather go fishing than for us to start using this pressure. This pressure, you see, is it breaks the law of choice. They don't choose to be pitched with the truth. <laughs> they don't choose to be little, be little by saying, you aren't sincere. That isn't the way. There's a better way. And the better way is the next three laws. They are faith, hope, and love. Now, my neighbor was telling me about <laughs> how the coons came running to him. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing Mrs. George, if your husband and a lot of other non-Christian hus husbands just came running to church with you, Certainly that would be. be a day. So first we have to leave the hammer at home. <laughs> we must lay down the pliers. <laughs> you see, anything that seems to be capturing them, they don't like to be captured. They don't want us to make decisions for them. They don't want us to belittle them. Now you say, shouldn't I talk? Yes, you should talk. But what should you say? That brings us to the last three secrets of persuading a non-Christian to find Jesus. These three secrets are found in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter in the last verse. It says, now abideth faith, hope, charity, or faith, hope, and love. If there's anything that little coons love, it's to be loved. <laughs> they want the right kind of bait. The right kind of bait is the love of Jesus. Now, what is the love? What does love mean? It means for you to become interested in his fishing. <laughs> I know how but, you feel. Because I don't eat but, fish myself. But I, I don't I don't I don't like to go fishing, but uh I'm afraid of worms. I don't want to touch them. <laughs> so, so it might pay us to offer a little prayer, might, that the Lord will help us. So he will see you take an interest in, in his fishing. Now, that's what Jesus did. You remember Jesus, the Lord of life and glory, came down to this earth, and his disciples were out there fishing. And of all things, where Jesus got the fish, we are not told. But there on the home shore, he had some fish for them. Do you suppose he liked the stink of those fish? And he'd say, to Peter, I don't want anything to do with you, Peter. I can smell the fish scales on your britches now. No, he didn't do that. He actually prepared fish. <laughs> In fact, he gave them two boats full of fish. And I don't believe Jesus loved the fish scales any better than you and I do. So we talk faith. We talk hope. We talk love. Love means... You take an interest in every legitimate thing that you can in which Mr. George is interested. Uh, you may have to claim a promise <laughs> that the Lord will give you an interest because a human soul is at stake. He is merely catching fish. But in all probability, even he uses bait. <clears throat> but you know, most of us Christians don't use any bait at all. We take a fair, uh, uh, an old hook, like I saw some people recently, 
I never knew that you ever catch salmon by snagging them. And we were there in the St. Joe River in Berrien Springs, and we saw many fishermen. My, you ought to have seen those ugly hooks. And they just grab and snag those salmon right in the ribs, right in the stomach, in any place. And I thought, that isn't the way the Lord wins souls, that's for sure. He doesn't go around snagging them. <clears throat> so many of us Christians go around snagging people, don't we? And we, and we apply different kinds of pressure, you see. And then with our tongue, we tell them, now look, you're liable to have one of the seven last plagues, <laughs> you see. And then, or don't you know the time of trouble is coming? And you know, soon they don't give us a listening ear anymore because we've clipped their ears with the time of trouble, the seven last plagues, and then we say, and more than that, sir, more than that, I want to tell you one thing. <laughs> Isn't that a beautiful thing? Isn't it? Now we begin to open their heads so that we can get the truth in. And we say, now I'm going to open you because you're hard-headed. And we say, why in the world don't they let me open their head? No, they say, I'm off going fishing. <laughs> so we are to take an interest in the things in which they're interested. Well, I guess I better get a fishing pole then. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men. And, and how true it is, isn't it? <laughs> it certainly is. And probably my biggest fault was was trying to make him come. Uh, and, and you mean that I'm, I'm, I'm not to ask him to come to, to church? Or how, how does that work? Well, this is how that works. Every time he hears you ever say anything about the church, he sees a smile on your face. And unconsciously, he's saying to himself, my, she must be enjoying that place. I wonder what it's like. It's just like a man going fishing and bringing back a great big fish 30 inches long. Another man says, where did you catch them? I want to go too. So if you bring back a big smile and joy, every time you discuss religion, he will unconsciously be saying to himself, I wonder, I wonder what she has. She has something I don't have. I'd like to see, I'd like to hear. And maybe it'll just slip in when you don't know it sometime, you see. Oh. <clears throat> That's what he's liable to do. You know, speaking of fishing again, I like it when you say you might take a pole. You might take the spiritual pole and go fishing. Now, when we go fishing, if we're going to catch fish, now you're on your way to catch him for the Lord by having the right bait. When I was a little boy, I learned one thing about fishing. Uh, there was a boyfriend of mine that, that was coming down the road to our lovely creek. And as he was coming down the road, we saw he had a fishing pole. And I was the youngest of, of eight boys, still am. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I saw him coming down the road with this fishing pole, and my older brothers knew that he was going to fish under our bridge. And I heard my older brother saying, what in the world can we do to keep him from fishing under our bridge? Now, I was the youngest, you see, and so thoughts would come to me right away. I said, I know what we'll do. I grabbed a plank a board, long board, about six feet long. And I started going down toward, oh, it was maybe 300 feet down to the bridge. And he was about 300, 400 feet the other side of the bridge. So I knew I could get there first. So I walked at the right tempo so I'd get down the bridge in the water first. And as I started going down, I said, oh, I'm so happy. And I began to slap that, that, that board against the, 
the, the dirt, and when I got down to the bridge, I hit the bridge, and I, I said, I'm so happy, and I slapped that water and slapped that water. Oh, I'm so happy. You know how many fish that boy caught? <laughs> the trouble with many of us is we trouble the waters too much. And when we scold people or tell them their duty, and we say, it's your duty to do this. It's your duty to eat so-and-so. It's your duty to keep such a day. It's your duty to do this. Uh, we're slapping the waters. We're troubling the waters, and we can't catch fish that way. Now, let's, should, should we review those seven secrets, Mrs. All right. All right. Jesus and joy constitute the real bait. When they see that we're happy in Jesus, that's the strength of soul winning. Nehemiah 8.10. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And then Psalm 16.11 says, In his presence is fullness of joy. So when they see that we're really satisfied with the religion of Jesus Christ, it, it has a tremendous drawing power on these non-Christians. Those are the first two. We call them the laws of strong allurement. You notice it's the joy of the Lord, not the duty. Duty is covered with joy, just like the 208 bones of the human body are covered with flesh. <laughs> Imagine a man going down the road with no flesh, just 208 bones. <laughs> he'll be a skeleton in the closet. There are a lot of Christians that go down with a skeleton of religion, and instead of being able to draw people, it scares them half to death. They say, let's put this skeleton in the cemetery, <laughs> and they don't come with us. They go off fishing. The next two laws are choice and humility. Choice means don't tell him anything to do, Joshua 24, 15, unless he asks. If he puts his socks in the frying pan, don't say a word. <laughs> if you don't say a word, Mrs. George, notice what will follow. If you don't say a word and you're perfectly quiet, the socks will convey their own message. <laughs> then his battle will be between him and the socks. But if you get ahead of the socks, then he'll be think you're quarreling with him and the quarrel will be between you and him. You don't want it between you and him. You want it between him and the socks. And I promise you, if you don't say a word, and don't break the law of choice. He'll never put his socks in the frying pan again. And what's true of the socks is true with the whole life. So we don't instruct any adult in any respect unless he asks. That's choice. Hum uh, humility is the other law of human ease. And that's found in Philippians 2, 3, esteeming other better than ourselves. When he sees that you respect him, you never belittle him. I see you have a strange look just now. <laughs> mm. Well, am I, am I supposed to respect him, everything he does, and, and uh, he goes away and leaves me? Is, am I supposed to look up to him? You're not to respect what he does, <laughs> but you respect him because the blood of Jesus Christ, that expensive payment was made for his soul. And if Jesus respected him enough to shed his blood for him alone, you see what a high price Jesus places on him. So you are very humble. You never belittle him. Always look up to him. Those are the laws of human ease. Then he feels at ease in your presence. If you never try to instruct him and you never belittle him, first thing you know, you know what he'll be doing? This, this represents you now, and this represents him. He'll be tagging you right along, going right to church with you. And, well, I and certainly when you, hope so. <laughs> and when you introduce him to the pastor in church, you want to say what one lady said to me. 
She said, I want you to meet my husband. She said, he'll never come to church with me. He was right there by her side then. She said, he'll never come to church. I said, lady, isn't this he right here now? She had been so accustomed to, uh, to using the carving knife. You see, we have many instruments of torture in the name of Christianity. These knives are all right in their place, but they're not good to gouge out the heart and say, you need a new heart. So we, we, we won't use these carnal weapons for this purpose. Now the last three laws, faith, hope, and love. You will speak, bless your heart. You'll speak faith in that man. Well, I know. Well, I'll, I'll try, but I don't. Okay, here's the text. It will be the victory. It will spell victory. Here it is. First John chapter five, verse four. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith, even our faith. So this is what you'll say to him occasionally, and it must be always a sincere remark. Honey, I believe in you. Of course, it'll floor him the first time. You'll have to pick him up. <laughs> but after a while, and you won't overdo it, just a little remark, I believe you're sincere. And you say, but I don't believe a thing that you, that you believe. You say, that's all right. You know what? You're so sincere. When you see the truthfulness of it, I know you will because you're a, a very honest man. That's faith. Love is the success law. First Corinthians 13, 8. Love never faileth. You'll take an interest, as we said before, in the things in which he's interested as far as you can legitimately. The two of them give him hope. My wife is interested in me. She's interested in the fish. I've seen her raise her nose before. <laughs> and before you know it, You'll find him on his way to church with you in all probability. Let's ask the Lord to give you that strength. Yes. Philippians 2.13. Dear Lord, thank you for Mrs. George. She loves you, Lord. But like all the rest of us, she has made mistakes. I have made mistakes. Lord, we haven't shown the beauty of Jesus as we should. We've presented duty too much. We've belittled people. Thank you. You've told us now you'll forgive us. And then you said you'll work in us to will and to do of your good pleasure. Philippians 2.13. We ask believingly, we claim triumphantly in Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.